The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. When we were singing the song, The Glory of God, uh, the first gathering, I had this, and it happens most, most times when we sing it, uh, there's just this beautiful, it's not necessarily like an image, but um, in the bridge it says, uh, there's a song that's been sung by the saints that have come and have gone before under the sun. Those that are present before the throne sing endlessly the glory of God. Those that are present before the throne sing endlessly the glory of God. And that's taken from this passage in Hebrews 12 where it says that there is a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, they're now cheering us on. Their focus, their entire focus is the worship of God. And, and when we were singing that earlier, I thought, what would they tell us if for a moment they took a break? Not that they would ever want to, Remember they took a break from just worshiping to, to talk to us. What would they say? And, and I think what they would say is, this is more worth it than you could ever imagine. All those times in your days that you are going through decisions of should I do right, wrong, should I obey Jesus, or just you know follow my heart, they would say, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. It's worth it. Like what a perspective they have that like we need, you know? Um, what we're gonna be talking about today and for the next couple months, ultimately um, we'll be helped by that heavenly perspective. And it's, uh, we're looking at the armor of God. When we, when we consider the world, that we live in and our lives in it, do you feel the interference? Sometimes you feel probably like you're walking on the straight and narrow, like the path you're taking is carefree even. And then something happens. It could be an unkind word. Um, it could be something bigger. Maybe there's a school shooting that you hear about. Maybe it's a conflict over in the Middle East or maybe it's something in your own home. Maybe it's something, honestly, even your own mind and heart that you're just wrestling with this battle that's going on. And, and it just doesn't feel like it's right. It doesn't feel like it should be happening. There's conflict. Well, for many of us, I think we need this message to realize that, that we aren't called simply to be able to cruise, but we've been called to fight. And God has given us everything we need to fight for peace. There's this verse in the Old Testament, the prophets, where it says, peace, peace. They say peace, peace, but there is no peace. I think we often try to do that even as Christians. It's like, for peace, there's peace. And, and God's like, I'm calling you to fight. <laughs> there isn't peace right now. You need to fight. So we're going to do that, learn to do that together. Pray with me and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, 
please give us your perspective. I pray that we will have willing hearts today to not just be present here, but to receive your word and go out and obey. God, give us your word today. May it be the word that comes in clearest as we start processing and I pray that it won't just be our efforts or our own smartness, but God, you'll just be implanting that truth into our heart and minds. Because we know that there's still parts of us that just, like, they respond in rebellion to your truth. Even though we say we want to follow you, Jesus, there's just, we have these instincts sometimes that just come up. And I pray that as we hear your truth and, and the way you describe the universe, the world, our lives to us, as we receive it, will help us go live differently and live lives of unhindered worship. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, what I'm going to do to start out with here is, is um, <clears throat> I'm going to build out the context for the book of Ephesians, and then we're going to get into the end of Ephesians, eventually looking at what our position is and then what the opposition is. But um, the context of Ephesians is, is really interesting. Paul's writing this church that the way we get introduced to them in the book of Acts is through really the worst day ever in somebody's life. Um, not Paul's, Paul's present there, but uh, in Acts 19, the story opens up simply saying this. This is Acts 19, 23. About this time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. It's like, dun, dun, dun. What is the great disturbance? Well, the way is what followers of Jesus, Christians, what we call Christians now, followers of Jesus, they were called the way at this time. This great disturbance was that, that Paul had gone to the city of Ephesus, city well known for its temples and specifically its temple to the goddess Artemis and it was this thriving town. And as Paul arrived in Ephesus and like what happened in many places, he arrived and he was sharing about Jesus and people were coming to faith in Jesus and it didn't go over so well with the people in power of that community, partly because it's not just they were like, man, we don't want our friends to believe in Jesus, but it was because, because when people believed in Jesus, it was affecting not only just the personal spiritual life of people, right? Oftentimes we're talking about a personal relationship with God and in, in our uh, in our community or, or our culture, thinking like that faith can be privatized. But what you see here is all of a sudden it starts affecting everything around it, the community at large. And you hear it out of the mouth of Demetrius who would make these little silver idols to the goddess Artemis. And this is what he says. He called all his people together. And he says, you know, my friends, that we received a good income from this business. And you see how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus. 
And in practically the whole province of Asia, he says that gods made by human hands are not gods at all. There is a danger not only to our trade, it will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great Artemis will be discredited. So his concern here is, is pretty massive. He's not going, he's not just saying, man, this personally hurts. <laughs> he's saying economically, this is going to impact our community. All, all the people who are making small statues of Artemis, he's like, we're out of business if this guy keeps at it. Spiritually, there's disruption, right? He's going, and people aren't worshiping the, what he says, the great goddess Artemis, and they're worshiping Jesus. And you see how following Jesus affects the entire structure of this community, spiritually, culturally, economically. And so the way they respond is, it says, they heard this and they were furious and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And it says, soon the whole city was in an uproar and they seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions, and they rushed them to the theater. Now, I don't want you to think sea film, right? Like, like 50 people and they're like, you're terrible. The theater of Ephesus could hold 20,000 people. So here's Gaius and Aristarchus and 20,000 people just screaming, great is the goddess Artemis, right? Just yelling at them. That's a bad day. <laughs> you know, all these people, 20,000 people just screaming at you. It's upward. Now, why do I show this story? Because this is Ephesus. This is Ephesus, a place of influence and power, and namely that influence and power comes from the worship of the goddess Artemis. Now, Paul is, is writing to this city when he writes this. Listen, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Pause there. Paul, how can you say it's not against these 20,000 people that are screaming at us? Right? And this is really amazing because if you get physical aggression and 20,000 people screaming, it's about to turn into, you know, something probably a lot more physical. How can you not say it's not against flesh and blood? It says, but it's against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand from then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. <laughs> Paul, how is this gonna help us when 20,000 people are screaming at us? Well, if we can go back to the last slide. I wanna start by defining for us and, and helping us understand why Paul gets here. He says, it is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now I'm gonna start, I just wanna define heavenly realm for you. I think that's helpful as we get into this because 
often our, our focus is so much on the physical, material world, the flesh and blood, people, that we don't actually get to the root of the cause. So prepare your worldview to be shaped a little bit by this time. The Bible teaches us that before creation, only God existed. And then God created everything. That means material, even space and time. So it's even weird to say like before, other than that's when time started. Now, now as we read this, we can, basically everyone agrees that there was a starting point. For us though, as followers of Jesus, we say the, the start was God and nothing else. There was, there was no material with which he can shape unless he creates that material. Now it's interesting because this, this powerfully shapes the way we view the world. Now, let me explain it to you this way. And we're not gonna take a deep dive into like physics and science, but essentially everyone believes there was a starting place. Now science, for the most part, they talk about everything starting with a big bang and singularity. Now, we're not gonna go too far down this rabbit hole, but what singularity is, it's that everything exists, all matter in the universe once existed in about a three inch ball, right? About this big. And then, and then, this massive, massive explosion happened and then just this projectile explosion created everything we have today, this big explosion, okay? Now, the reason why science has to start with that is because it needs matter. Because all science can do is dissect, right? It can kind of like, like take a knife and peel it apart and go, okay, this is, these are all the parts, Right? So unless you can crunch the numbers, science can't go there. And, and we say, yeah, it can't go there. Science can't dissect God. And so that's, that's where you have very different worldviews that come from one going, everything needs to be explained by science. And that's going, not necessarily because there is an immaterial world. There's a heavenly realm. God who created everything lives outside of material time and space. And yet he can create that. He does not live in a material geographic location which we can travel to by spaceship. In heaven there are not babies who are naked with harps. Contrary to to popular imagery, heaven is not a place or a space in the way we think of place and space. And the way it talks about our eventual participation in that, and what, what we, the Bible talks about as our glorified selves, it says, like seeds planted and die physically, we are raised then spiritually. And so our participation will be even in a, in a different way of some sort than we experience now. To simply summarize this heavenly spiritual space, I'll write the definition I wrote, which is the immaterial that dwells over and within the material that both animating and influencing all that we sense and experience. That is the heavenly realm. I'm gonna say it again for Melissa. (laughs) The immaterial that dwells over and within 
the material, both animating and influencing all that we sense and experience. And, and the amazing thing is we instinctively get it and yet we want everything to be within our power to understand, dissect, crunch numbers, right? And yet all of us are like, why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? Right? Paul's frustration. Why is all this going on? Because there is a heavenly realm. Within that heavenly realm, I don't want you just to think of like, great things always happen in the heavenly realm because what we get here is there are powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So even within that heavenly realm, there is not, not everything is bright and joyful. There's also evil that pursues us. And so the question is, how is it influencing our world and how do we stand against it? And that's what Paul is preparing us for here. Okay, just take a breath. We're gonna do another deep dive as we look at what is our position then as followers of Jesus, what is our position in that heavenly realm? And then what is our opposition in that heavenly realm? Okay, are you guys ready? Are you with me? Okay, okay, I told I told the first guy, I was like, if, if you're like confused, maybe just like, do give like a side, like shake, I'll slow it down a little bit. Our position doesn't start very well, okay? Ephesians 2 explains it this way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us were dead That is what our born position is. We are born dead spiritually. We are born unable, it says, to to please God. That's the way our position starts. And the spirit that is working within us is not the spirit of God. We go on to say, it says, all of us, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That is our position apart from Jesus. In Ephesians 2, the long-awaited, but wait, happens because if we stop there by nature, we're deserving of wrath. That's, that's our position before Jesus comes, by nature, deserving of wrath. And we're like, is that it? But, it's almost like, don't worry. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even while we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ. Where's our position if we come by grace through faith in Jesus? It says now God who raised Jesus, it says has raised us up and seated us with Christ. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What is the future plan of God who have come, for us who have come by grace through faith to Jesus, the plan of God is to show us the incomparably great riches of his love. 
And I know you're like, that makes total sense. I get it. It doesn't. It doesn't. And so Paul in Ephesians 1, listen to his prayer. I pray that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened in order that they may know. Isn't this amazing? Paul's like, I know they're not going to get it. Because our, our habit and our instinct is so much still living according to just being objects of wrath, like, like undeserving. And we're like, I just never could deserve all that God has given me in Christ. And so Paul, literally his prayer, his prayer for the church is, may their, their, uh, they be enlightened in order they may know the hope. Listen to three things. The hope in which he has called you. What is that? The hope is that God, God's plan in the future is life forevermore because in our past we experienced death and the incomparable, uh, the, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That's the second thing, the riches of his glorious inheritance. What does that mean? He goes, I pray that their heart may begin to understand that everything that is Jesus's is theirs. Isn't that amazing? Are you with me? <laughs> like, I, was, I almost stood on a chair. That's how excited I was. <laughs> um, no, I mean, think about it. He literally is going, oh God, may they just understand all that is Jesus's is theirs. All of it. God isn't like, and this is Jesus's, and then this is Daniel's. You know, he's like breaking up his inheritance. Like, you get the car, you know, you get, you get my sofa. No, he's like, it's all, all of it's all theirs. <laughs> when God looks at Jesus with love and acceptance, and I can't wait to spend eternity with you, he looks at you in the same way. And so Paul, knowing that you right now are even like, yeah, I think I'm gonna have uh, BLT for lunch. You know, he's like, no, God, just enlighten their hearts because they get so distracted. Like, they're just not, they're not getting it, Right? And he says, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. What is our position in the heavenly realm? We have incomparably great power when we live in him. And that, that's what it says here in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord. And so, so here's the question. Like, if that is true, if that is it, then why do we feel so powerless so often? And, and I think it's simply this, is that we often feel powerless because we are not fighting from the victory. We are fighting for the victory. Get that? Oftentimes we're like, gosh, the victory is going to come eventually. I just need to, ugh. That's not the way it works. Guys, the reason why we call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus, it is 100% the Easter story, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the power of Satan, death and hell was defeated. And with him, when he rose from the dead, there was entire, complete, can't be added to victory. I guess, are you with me? This is a big deal. You can't add to his victory. You can't do more victory. There's not more. There's not like he's not like, like, great job. You did more. No, he's like, live from my victory. 
You get that? So oftentimes why we feel so powerless is because we're trying to create new victory. And it doesn't work like that. And this is really important. If you are fighting for your own victory, your own hope, God's riches will never be the outcome. I, I was, uh, when I was preaching earlier, um, something that wasn't in my notes came to mind and it was, I was reading an article this week, old article by a guy named Philip Yancey. And he was talking about how um, Alcoholics Anonymous, when it was started, their material was, their book was initially called Not God. And the reason for that is because they said, the thing that screws up everyone is that we want to be God. We want to have authority. We want to be God. We want to make our own decisions. And so the idea here is that if you want to live by your own authority, you will be under every authority, including the authorities of the powers of the dark world, right? If you're trying to live by your own authority, your authority, just, just the authority you were born with is weak compared to the devil and his henchmen, right? And so when we try to live from our own authority, when we try to live from our own good ideas, our own good intentions, whatever that is, if we try to just enter this world and fight back on our own authority, we will be under the authority, under the authority of the rulers and authorities against the powers of this dark world and spiritual, all of that we're powerless against unless we are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Does that make sense? So stop living from your own authority. Stop trying to fight for victory. Live from the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. All your victory comes from the resurrection of Jesus. All of it. None can be added to it. Okay? That's our position. So I pray that the eyes of your heart might be in line to that. I pray the eyes of my heart can be enlightened to that. And then we stop trying to follow our own authority, guys. It's so screwed up when we do that. Okay, so that is our position. Now, how do we live that out? Now, we just got through a sermon series called Going Home. And a lot of it we were talking about, we're not home yet. Now, at home, you walk around in a bathrobe, probably. I'm not imagining that on any of you. (laughs) I have not reached bathrobe stage in my life. Because you know what you do in a bathrobe? Nothing. (laughs) Bathrobes are for nothing. They're the most worthless piece of clothing ever. Unless you want to do nothing. Apparently you can garden it. That's that's productive. I wouldn't recommend it. Okay, I just have to say, it's not what they were made for. They were literally made. I I shared too much last gathering about, so I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna stop the bathroom conversation now. But literally, I think, I think one of the reasons why we 
aren't living in the authority of Jesus is we're bathrobe Christians, not armor Christians. We, we literally want to do nothing and still experience the victory of God. We want to do nothing and still experience the victory of God. We are completely bathroom Christians thinking that's, that's what it is. We are like, we came to faith in Jesus and then we just get swaddled. And then eventually we get to experience heaven one day. Yeah. And then we're like, why, you know, <laughs> why do I not feel safe? And it's like, well, because you're not wearing your armor. You're literally like in the middle of a massive battle with a bathroom on. Like, that's, that is modern Christianity for a lot of, are you guys with me? You know, so we're like, we're like, why do I feel so exposed? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's just, it's terrifying to think of. Hopefully that is not your dream tonight. It's like, you're in the middle of Braveheart. The father's like, stop. Right, uh, okay. I went down that route. I said I wasn't going there. So, so, but we are prepared by God for the battle. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the days of evil come, not if, but when the days of evil come, you may be able to stand your ground. (laughs) Not if. We live as if it's an if. Right? Oh, it it might happen. You know, it's so so poignantly expressed in in the tragic war to end all wars. Didn't end any wars. Been a nonstop war. But we always think this is it, then I get to put my bathrobe on. We are we are people who are constantly thinking if, not when, because the day of evil will come, and so God's like, I'm gonna get you ready. You're gonna participate in this. You're gonna be a part of it because there is opposition. Now, now the opposition is described um, in three ways mainly in the, in the Bible. <clears throat> the, the first is the world. Our opposition is described as the world. Now the world isn't talking, remember it's not talking material, not flesh and blood, but it's talking about systems and cultures that are opposed to God and they promote and cater towards the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye and the pride of life. Now it's amazing that we, in our culture, we want everything to be scientific, right? But, like explain that way. But when I start talking about cultures and systems that oppose God, we're like, yeah, you can't dissect that, but we know, I don't know what we're talking about, right? Like, then when, so we're talking about the world, remember, we're not talking about like soil. We're not like, like this is soil, has too much iron in it. No, we're talking about literally systems and cultures that are opposed to God. And, and so when we think about fighting back with these spiritual implements, these tools, these weapons, this armor that God's given us, what we're thinking about, what are systems and cultures? The question that I asked earlier was, what is the Ar- Ar- um, Artemis of today? You know, you had 20,000 peoples that found two followers of Jesus and they were like, you're what's wrong with the world. You know, what is the Artemis of today? If you go to Ephesus, there's no temple. There's no theater. You have to do an archaeological dig to find that. But that doesn't mean there aren't cultures, systems, powers, authorities, rulers who are still functioning in the same way that they're going to find two Christians and be like, you're what's wrong with the world. That's what it's talking about. Cultures, systems. What are the Artemises of today? The flesh, meaning... Uh, the, the nature, the old nature for us who were born with as sons and 
and daughters of Adam and Eve, the nature we're born with, which is opposed to God and can't please God. It's the nature, a spirit of pride and disobedience. So we're talking about with the flesh. We're not talking about ligaments and muscles. We're literally talking about the, the old nature that even when you and I find ourselves, I want, to, I want to obey God, I want to please God, but then I find in myself this force that is fighting obedience to God. And I see that even around me. I, I, that, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the flesh. And then the last is the devil. Literally an accuser or adversary, a tempter, murderer, liar, who is using influence, a spirit of the heavenly realm, using influence to promote the world and the flesh. We are in this battle and we are being attacked. That's what we learn from this. Not only by, by uh, it's not like we have to go out looking for it. It's that there is an, there's aggression and it, it desires to have us is the way that it's described in the Bible. That's the context that we find ourselves in. That's the context that we are given when we consider how we use the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. How will you use these things in this conflict? So my, my questions for us today is, honestly, my kind of my hope for you today is two things. One, that you will... Uh, your worldview will be shaped. <laughs> You're going to think in this way. Uh, the second is that, that we will be people who pray for one another, that the eyes of each other's hearts will be enlightened to understand what our position is in Christ and how we do something about it. So the first question I want to ask is, do you know who you are in Jesus? Do you know the hope that is yours? Do you know the riches of your inheritance in Christ? Do you know that when God looks at Jesus and says, I cannot be more pleased with you, he he just is pleased with you because you found yourself in Jesus. Do you know the incomparably great power that is yours? C.S. Lewis, and I'm totally going to misquote this, but I, I can't talk about this without thinking of, of he talks about in um, one of his essays, if, if we were to see each other, even a glimpse of one another in our unveiled, as our unveiled spiritual self, we would be tempted to worship each other. We're not God. What he's saying is, God, you are created in Christ, as you submit to him to be incomparably great. Do you know that? Are you living as if this is it? Are you listening to the deceiver's voice who's saying, no, you're still worthless because that's not true? And last is, are you aware of the devil and his schemes? Some of us are frustrated by defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat because I think we still think it's an if and not a when. We're just struggling so much. We're like, uh, you know, defeated once, but it's not going to happen again. I'm not going <laughs> to. 
It's like, no, when that day comes, you will stand firm because you've prepared for it, you've trained for it, you're living in the might and power of God. You know how to use the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. You're ready for it. So you are being called to fight. You're being called to fight for yourself, for your family, for your community in this world. The weapons you have are not weapons of the flesh. They're not weapons made of steel or gunpowder. These are tools to help others understand and experience the salvation of our God. Because everything we have was declared in the resurrection of Jesus. So that, that literally is all the armor of God is doing. It's like live from that. So I, <laughs> I was saying earlier, I, I felt sort of like I was giving a Braveheart speech today. You know, I was like, men and women of the refuge, <laughs> will you fight with me today? You know, like, <laughs> and you guys are like, yeah, let's go get them. You know, but um, it kind of feels like that, right? Where you, you seriously, I could go down a deep rabbit hole with that, but, uh, but that is what I think oftentimes, I mean, I feel myself and I hope we're beginning to feel like, man, I want to wake up, right? I, wanna, I don't want to live in a spiritual bathrobe. Like I want to, I want to know what I have in Jesus and I want to know how to use truth and salvation and righteousness. I want to know how to use these things to be prepared for when the day of evil comes, because it is. And I want to be the one who doesn't fight for myself, but fights for my family and my friends and my community in the world. And, and let me just tell you, you can. You can. Because you are incomparably great in Christ Jesus. Pray with me. Father, I pray this will be a truth that doesn't leave us. There's parts of this message that, that you just want to tattoo on our hearts that can be transformed. I think maybe for some of us we've felt like we know there's a battle, but we're just not the ones to fight. We feel like we're sidelined, and God, I pray that this would be just a call. Come in, take courage. I pray that one of the results for this will be prayer for one another. That we will start fighting for one another in prayer. That we will just pray that our brothers and sisters here will be strong. And the places you've put them, the Ephesus that you've put them in, will be powerfully impacted by the word of their testimony and the way they live as they live in your might. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.